make of it. Our love is what we make of it. Our love is what we make of it. Our love is what we make of it. Sex for smart people. That means you. Oh, hi. Welcome to Sex for Smart People. It's me, your host. And this episode is a very special episode, a collection of coming out stories that break away from the most traditional coming out narratives. Because coming out is not usually this one big moment, but more of an unfolding over time, a lifelong conversation with oneself and with the world. Our producer, Jamie Beckenstein, and I were most interested in the parts of stories that are often missed. The fun parts, the mundane stuff, the things that made people cranky, (laughs) the ways people's lives shifted in expected and unexpected ways, the ways that folks feel like they were always out or maybe even felt like they never came out at all. I'm so, so excited to share these beautiful stories with you. And I'm so grateful to those who generously shared them. But before we share these stories, I've actually got some things to come out to you about. And I feel really nervous. So I'd like to do it in the form of reading the email that I'm going to send to just about everyone I know around the time that this episode is released. I feel like I'm sitting at the top of this awesome giant water slide and I'm just so close to mustering the courage to letting go and trusting that I'll float at the bottom and I'm floored with gratitude to get to take the plunge in the company of these other beautiful souls and their stories so here goes here's that email dear friends I have some news to share But first, a story. Right after all those extra fucked up, heartbreaking, anti-queer laws started to pile up in early spring in North Carolina and elsewhere, which are really only the contemporary manifestation of a long historic pattern of violence, abuse, oppression, persecution, and erasure of trans and gender non-conforming people, I found myself at a social justice workshop made up of a straighter, whiter, older crowd than I tend to move in. Fired up by that legislation, on impulse, I crossed out Stephanie and wrote Ryan in bright blue marker on my name tag. And I wrote in my preferred gender neutral pronouns beneath my name. I felt fired up to do anything I could to queer this and every space I am in and to let my very presence be an invitation to expansive conversations about gender complexity. This all felt much scarier and more vulnerable than I anticipated it might. A bunch of my own internalized bigotry came up in me toward myself, and even though I don't think this stuff anymore toward anyone else, would people distrust me? Would they think I'm confused or mentally ill? Would they find me annoying? This workshop held a lot of sharing with different partners and then talking to the group about your partner in the third person. So I stood patiently as many different people stumbled over my pronouns. I neither corrected them nor excused them when they were wrong. And all those ugly questions kept flaring up in me. But afterward, several people pulled me aside and thanked me for sparking questions in them about gender. And there was so much extra opportunity to discuss how a fixed gender binary is deeply linked to patriarchy and the ugliest parts of capitalism. 
This reminded me of how liberated I felt the first time I encountered someone who many might have presumed was female, but who used the pronouns they, them, theirs. And on top of that, two people shyly approached me on the side to share that they think their child might be trans and to ask me if I could point them in the direction of some good resources and support. So those encounters combined with the initial fire that fueled me to come out so abruptly led me to realize that it wouldn't be right to go back from here. So although as of last December, I had intended to try out the new name and pronouns shift in a safe, contained space for a month this summer and then gradually snowball it from there. Here I am, vulnerably riding the avalanche that I began in early April. This news is driven by passionate political mandate, sure, but it is equally driven by personal truth. I am starting to go by the name Ryan, as I've wanted to since 2010, and as a couple of close friends have been calling me for years. The name Stephanie will always be a part of me too. Professionally, I'm going to go by Stephanie Ryan Johnstone. I've long desired a name more gender ambiguous than the name I was given at birth. Names are both meaningful and meaningless. Sure, I can be whoever I am in my many splendor gender, as can anyone, regardless of names. But I've come around to embracing the calm strength and freedom I feel when I am known as Ryan. And I'm letting you know that my pronouns are they, them, theirs, as I also have preferred for years but haven't been very vocal about until now. I'm generally comfortable feminine of center, and I get it when people who don't know me round up to woman and she. Binary genders are so very entrenched in our culture. But as long as I've been awake to this complexity in me, when someone refers to me as she, I have felt neutral and or slightly sad. And when someone refers to me as they, I have felt extra seen, loved and acknowledged in my fullness. I love my body just as it is, but I have long been very uncomfortable with the ways my body is seen and what is often projected onto it. For the past year and a half since I left New York City, I've been temporarily without a home base but I'm not homeless or home free. I am home full. And similarly, I consider myself gender full. For a more common shorthand, the words non-binary, gender queer, gender expansive, and or gender non-conforming also work just fine. I think of gender not just as on a linear spectrum from female to male, but as part of this gorgeous, vast, three-dimensional web slash galaxy with male and female as points somewhere in the vastness and axes spreading out in every direction from every point within this galaxy. And frankly, most people I know are not exactly gender conforming. I believe that we are all gender complex in some way and how cool that we all get to wear ourselves and ask to be addressed in whatever way honors each of us most fully. This all is and is not a big deal. I'm not shifting much in who and how I am in the world. I'm mostly just shifting how I frame myself publicly. If any or all of this feels confusing or annoying or challenging or surprising to you, that's okay. My deepest hope, though, is that instead of that creating distance between us, may it bring us closer. 
I would consider it a great act of love if you turn toward curiosity and ask me anything you want to ask me in order to understand more deeply if you wish to. And I understand that, especially for those of you who have known me for a long time, that this can feel like a wild shift and that sometimes you might slip up. But as long as you're on board with me here, really on board with me here, we'll move through it together. I consider queerness and gender queerness a gift, an invitation to, as Kate Bornstein says, radical wonder and radical welcoming. And I hope you and I both feel more and more deeply invited into wonder and welcoming as time goes on, regardless of who you are and how you identify. And my heart swells when I think of how we are at an unprecedented moment where the intersections between many varieties of systemic oppression based on race, class, ability, gender, sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are more visible than ever, even if, of course, we have a long, long way to go. Our liberation is inextricably bound up together, and may we find more and more ways to bring the marginalized to the center in light of that truth. Phew. <laughs> Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for listening. Yours in radical wonder and radical welcoming, Ryan. Uh, hey, how's it going? My name is Jabari. I'm a 20-year-old uh, gay guy living in Brooklyn, New York. My coming out story is um, interesting. I came out twice, maybe three times, um, depending on what you count as coming out. Uh, I'm not sure how many people can say that. Uh, they were all my teenage years. I um, I was always pretty self-aware as a, as a kid. And uh, my first one was pretty early. I was... Uh, around 12 and I'd actually, well, actually having started like sexual fantasies early on, like when I was only nine years old, like thinking about my, my, um, my male friends and stuff, but I was 12 years old. And, uh, this was like in 1999, I think back when, you know, there was still dial up in AOL and I'd gotten my parents to disable the, uh, family filter on, on my AOL account. So I could, there was just this, um, this Pokemon site that for some reason needed adult, <laughs> adult licensing or what I don't even remember the circumstance but I couldn't I couldn't get onto it when I had just the child filter so I need the adult filter to go on this Pokemon site and once I had the adult filter um and I was like okay now make sure you don't look at porn and so what do you think the first thing I did that night was was I um I uh, went onto porn sites and you know I'm looking I'm scrolling through the images of the straight porn and I uh end up you know, kind of, I don't think there was a Google then, but I somehow search feature got over to like to gay porn. And I'm like on the cusp of clicking on this gay porn video. And I look over in the mirror at myself and I say to myself, I mean, I guess you're gay. You're about to click on gay porn and, you know, the straight porn wasn't doing anything for you. So um, that's when I'm around, I'm 12 years old and I'm, I'm sitting with my mom like a few a few weeks later, and this 2020 special comes on about this uh, gay football player in high school. And I don't, I don't remember the, the specifics about it, just about his struggles. And at the end, I asked my mom if she thinks dad would be mad at me if he knew I was gay. And, you know, she gives a, a response of like how I'm still young. You know, again, I'm like 12 years old at the time. I'm still young. I, I wouldn't, don't really know. I should wait and see. And uh, so I did. And I waited and I see it. And 
I, or I saw and about three years passed. Um, and I was itching and itching for the right time to talk to my parents. And I decided to do it on my 15th birthday. Um, so 15th birthday, I pulled my parents into my room saying I need to talk to them. And it's funny, actually, when they, they talked to me about that day, they said they were so nervous. They thought somebody, somebody had hit me or something really bad had happened. But I, I called them in and I told them I'm gay and I barely get the words out because I'm so scared. And in fact, my voice was so so weak in saying it. My my dad made me repeat it. I, I, when I said I was gay, my my dad was like, wait, what? Um, but not angry. He just couldn't hear me. And my mom was just, um, you know, a little, a little sullen and saying, you know, I heard I heard what he said. And um, my dad, is, he's a lovely guy. He's a really, really nice guy. But, you know, West Indian culture, my, my family is Guyanese and, you know, gay people borderline don't exist down there. It's it's pretty, it's pretty conservative in that in that appeal. So he's the nicest man ever. Um, so he wasn't angry. He, he, he just spent three days trying to convince me that I wasn't gay and same the t- same talking points. Um, you know, you don't, you don't know yet. You're still young. You haven't met the right girl. Um, what about my kids? I want you, I want to have a little grandson, um, and so on and so forth. And the same things on loop for three days straight. And at one point I just gave up and was like, you know what, dad, you're right. I don't know. Um, and I went back into the closet for three more years. And like, I, I knew, and I was still in the closet in school. And I think not having the support at home made it really hard. And I just, I, I, I wouldn't say it damaged my relationship with my father, but I, I really did not talk to, to him as much for, for those, those years. And, you know, most, most teenagers don't talk to their parents, but I, Part of it, it wasn't even anger. I was just like always wondering like, okay, is now a good time to talk about this again? Is now a good time? How about now for for years? And it wasn't until I started coming out to people in school, which was like senior year, second semester. Like, you know, I was like, I'm getting out of here in a few weeks. Why not just freaking come clean? So it was not till after coming out to friends in school and then um, being out, I was out on Facebook. I mean, that was, I think I, I started college in 2005. So that was the rise of Facebook too. So I was out, I was out on this new thing called social media. I was like rebranding into a whole new person. And every person I met in, in college knew I was gay. And, you know, I came home for, for Thanksgiving, which is my, my first time like feeling like I had to go back in the closet. And um, I said some mean-spirited comment about my dad, while, while he wasn't home, my, my mom was like, you should apologize. And I was like, no. And I, I stormed off to my room and then she came with my sister and they were like, is it because because he won't accept you? And that's when I realized they they hadn't forgotten, which is like, obviously, like, of course they didn't. And I thought they could have. And um, we talked and then my dad um, talked to me that night about how no matter what, he'll always love me. And we we all went to go see harry potter <laughs> the fourth movie um that night uh what is it the uh, the goblet of fire and there's a there's a mini st- storyline i don't even remember the details there's a mini storyline about one of the one of the characters and his father and i i don't even remember what it was but i remember it was about a guy and his father and it just broke me because um it was great to hear that my father actually did love me um no matter what and both my parents for that matter and it only took uh, it only took coming out three times for that to happen. Um, but I'm happy now. And uh, thanks for listening. Okay. Um, so I'm trans and I'm gay-ish. Um, <laughs> uh, 
And something that shocked me, this seems like really, really obvious, like something literally anyone could have thought of, but coming out after I started passing, coming out as trans was really different than coming out beforehand, (laughs) which again, seems super obvious, but I did not think of it. Um, In that coming out now means saying like, oh, hey, here's this thing about me you don't know, and people who have assumed that I'm like, this is gender dude, um, get this whole new idea of like my past and my history and like who I am and what made me where and who I am today. Um, but before I was, I was passing, um, uh, coming out meant saying the thing you think you know about me is wrong. Um, which was one thing, uh, you know, with people I didn't know very well, but was really something else with people like I knew really well, like this thing that you've known about me or thought you've known about me for a really long time is incorrect. Um, I like coming out now most of the time, certainly not always, but I hated it. I hated it so much before. Um, And this is in large part because I am a tremendously private person. I am perfectly excited and happy to talk about my feelings after they happen and they're through and I'm able to articulate them. That's great. I love that. I do not like to talk about my emotions as they're happening. Um, Very, very rarely, like with very few people, will I do that at all. Um, I just don't, I just don't do that until I'm ready. Um, And coming out as trans, asking people to call me something else, asking people to to really actively make a genuine effort to think of me differently, because that's not easy for anyone. I mean, maybe, but certainly not for anyone I know, or for me. Um, necessitated that I say, like, I have been having all of these thoughts and feelings. They're kind of unresolved, and they're really, really difficult. And And even just saying the words meant that, like, other people would know that I thought and felt these things. And even though I'm just unbelievably lucky and I knew just with really no doubt that, that my family and my friends and my communities would all be like totally on board. Um, even though I was lucky enough to have that, I just hated all of coming out. <laughs> um, and I'm really glad I did it. I'm so glad I did it. And I'm so much like more put together and happier and I like how I move through spaces now and it's like it's good um but I don't know uh if that's because I like came out and then and reconciled myself or because I started passing and I really want it to be because I like learned and grew but I don't know if it is um that's my it's my few minutes of coming out story for the day. All right. Let's try this one more time. Cool. Hi, my name is Kay. I'm a non-binary trans person. And although my coming out story, I feel like, is a never-ending saga, um, I'll talk a little bit about, about me coming out as trans. Um, when I first came out as trans in my early 20s, I, I thought that the only option available to me, the only alternative to being a girl, 
um, was being a boy. And I was lucky enough to already have a bunch of trans community at this point in my life, predominantly trans masculine folks, who were all like so supportive of my newfound boyhood. I didn't really have a frame of reference then for what it meant to be non-binary. And it felt so comforting to be embraced by, by people who saw me as a young trans guy. And I really wanted to, and wanted to support my transition. So for a while, I went by the name Jaden. Um, I used he, him and his. I, I made a lot of moves to start taking testosterone and even coming so far as, um, going so far as coming out to my birth family. And around this time, I moved to Philadelphia. And I was able to sort of pause and take a breath and I met some new people. Uh, and I was really invited to, um, to look more critically about gender. And I realized that for me specifically going on tea would just be, it would just be another compromise. Um, so instead I took some time to explore ways to see if I could feel like comfortable and sexy in, in my body without hormones. And I realized then also that I wasn't interested in, um, in binary masculinity for myself. So I started going by K again, uh, using they, them, and their pronouns, which which have been my pronouns for the past six years now. Um, and I, I continue to flirt with the idea of going on T. It, I still I still do. It never felt. It, yeah, it's always just. O T, O T. <laughs> but I. Like, I think that part of the reason that I did and do still struggle with the idea of going on tea is of like all these insecurities, like didn't feel quite complete. Was I trans enough? Was I like finished cooking yet? Um, but I think I was rest, I think looking back, I was just restless. And part of that restlessness came from like a deep sense of, of dysphoria around some of my body, although, although not all of my body by any means and, and not all of my femininity by any means. Um, so I, I I sort of wandered around for six years in that in that space of of ambivalence and yet real deep knowing of myself. Um, and then in the past literally six months, some magical things have happened. Uh, I went on a super random social media hookup date uh, and found myself face to face with this magical magical human this person who just did androgyny in this way that like blew my mind and i found so compelling and i immediately i needed to know all their secrets and the more i learned the more i was like this you you yes this is my this is my gender like <laughs> everything happening here that's what that's what i am that's what i want and um i know so many beautiful and i have known for a long time, so many beautiful gender queer and gender non-conforming folks. But until that moment, I'd never met someone who reflected my gender back to me in such a profound way and who experienced dysphoria in such similar ways and who who also felt that for whatever options like that I won't go into now, but like tea was not valid well, it was not a valid option for them. Um, and this person opened my mind to HRT, hormone replacement therapy options outside of taking testosterone. And they had been on this drug Danazol for two years, uh, which functions as like an estrogen blocker steroid. I'm not good with medical jargon. So from my understanding, essentially what it does is it blocks your testosterone con from converting it to estrogen. So your T levels rise. But at the same time, your testosterone um, is prevented from like actively 
turning on or activating any of masculinizing secondary sex characteristics. So the result essentially is like normal monthly bleeding, some muscle gain, some fat redistribution, maybe some like mild, mild hair growth or like a mild, mild drop in voice. Um, and I, it's so difficult to explain this. Like I've literally been trying to will something like this into existence, like will it into my existence for years, like, but knowing that going on low dose of tea wouldn't cut it. Um, and then there, and there, there it was, and there it was. And like, I almost in the middle of this date, I like, almost ran out the restaurant and was like, I have to go do research and find, I have to, I have to go. Thank you. You've changed my life. I've got to go catch you later. But I, I managed to contain my excitement. And, um, so now I've, I've been on a similar drug, the same drug actually now for a few months. And it's been this like such amazing affirming ride. And I feel like so at peace in this way that I haven't ever, I don't think. And it's not because I've landed in any particular place. Like I, um, I haven't reached a stage of completion. I don't think I ever will. I think that like transitioning for me and thus coming out again and again and again, um, is going to be a lifelong process, but I, I feel at peace because I've had so many years of stagnation and trying to will myself to find peace and acceptance in my body without success. And I'm finally, I'm finally at the stage where I'm, I've found some like momentum and the freedom of, possi of possibility. That there is a possibility for me. Well, I know I've spoken more about transitioning, I guess, than coming out. Although I think there's something, there's definitely something to be said about, uh, coming out like pre-transitioning and during transitioning and for some folks post-transitioning can look really really different because there's the coming out like sort of either verbally or by telling people by telling people that's coming out by telling folks and then there's coming out by um by having your your appearance and your reality your physical your physicality change so much uh and so while i'm super excited um I also recently like got news that my uh, like liver is rejecting this drug in well, my liver functioning is like sort of fucking up because of this drug. So I think it's also for folks. Um, well, let me see. Cool. So I think my thought is that this is probably for a different podcast, but you know, in terms of like transitioning and coming out for trans folks, like options, options can seem really limited and are really limited. And then sometimes our bodies limit them even more. Um, and it's, it's like a beautiful and really painful process to, to get to experience a sense of self that, that feels super complete or more complete or more just genuine and then um having to continue to be creative because the simple solutions aren't offered to you or aren't available to you and that's just something that until we live in a world that i think like values the experiences of trans people and the health of trans people is going to be something that we all navigate as in terms of our like coming out process and transition processes however different they may be so, yeah, thank you.
So my name is Amber, and my coming out story is, I'm sure, probably similar to many people's. I have always known I was a little bit different and for whatever reason was not attracted to the opposite sex at all. They made good buddies, but that was about it. So my freshman year of college, I fell head over heels for a girl named Sarah and we were together for about seven years and nobody knew um, except us. I'm sure people suspected, but I did not come out to anyone. So we broke up seven years later. At this point, I was 26, and I decided I was gonna come out to my little brother, who was 16 at the time. And I said, all right, man, I gotta talk to you. Um, I like girls, and it was the best response ever because he said, that's cool, I do too. So the first person, you know, I felt really great about. Um, After that, it got kind of hairy. I didn't come out to anyone else for over a year, and I finally ended up coming out to my mother, and she just screamed and cried and threw a fit and hung up on me. And that's the way it went for about three months. She would just scream and cry, and every time we talked on the phone, and I was living eight hours away at the time, so to say it was unpleasant is the understatement of the decade. Well, one day in August, September, she called me, and she actually stayed on the phone. She didn't hang up on me. She wasn't crying. And she said, Amber, have you ever even been with a man? And I said, no. And she said, well, how do you know you're gay? And I said, mom, have you ever been with a woman? She said, no. And I said, well, if you're going to use that that, that uh, mentality, how do you know you're not gay? And she hung up on me. Over the next few months, my relationship with my mom did improve, thankfully. Um, She kept it to herself for about a year, and finally she told my dad and my little sister and my grandmother. So the next time I went home, I was talking to my dad, and we were in his big red truck, and he said, Amber, I just don't get it. And I said, what do you not get? And he said, this whole gay thing. And I said, really, Dad? You don't understand liking women. And he started laughing and never said another word. So I was very, very fortunate with my family. Um, My friends, I lost all of my friends. Um, I grew up in a very conservative part of the country and then moved for graduate school to an even more conservative part of the country. So I definitely had to make new friends and I am very thankful for the new friends that I have who love me and accept me because it's much, much easier to be hated for who I am than to be loved for who I'm not. So when Jamie asked me to record a three to five minute bit for this podcast about coming out experiences that, as he so elegantly put it, don't really fit with the (laughs) um, current narrative of coming out on Glee, that it's like a big tumultuous event and kind of happens all at once. And then after that, your life is like completely different. Um, And so I said yes, because this seemed like a thing I would really like to do. Um, But then afterwards, I found myself really wondering in earnest, like, am I out? (laughs) Am I? (laughs) Um, 
because it's been, gosh, about a year exactly um, since I started using any label other than straight to describe myself. I now use the words bisexual and occasionally queer to describe how I feel about people. Um, But I think the reason that I consider myself only partially out is that I don't really feel a lot of shame about it, and I don't feel like it's a secret. Um, pretty much everyone who's close to me knows this about me. And also literal strangers uh, for whom I've had some reason to converse about this know, and I've had no problem saying that to them. Um, but my family doesn't know, and I think this is just for the reason that... <laughs> I'm fine talking to them about who I'm dating. So if I were dating a woman, I would just say, mom, dad, sister, I'm dating a woman. And they'd be like, this is a little weird, but okay. <laughs> like, we're totally fine with it. Um, but I've been in a really wonderful, um, long-term, mostly monogamous relationship with uh, someone who's a cis dude for more than four years at this point. And so coming out to them as bi necessitates talking about actual desire and sexual feeling, not just like, this is my person. (laughs) They are with me. Um, So that's something I didn't quite anticipate or think out. And it's not like the worst It's something that I feel sort of like I'm procrastinating on in a way, and I won't be fully out until they know. Um, But I feel more okay with the sort of, like, gray area feeling of being sort of out, and I, I didn't know in any way that that was possible. I thought it's kind of a thing that you were or weren't, um... And I think I wish I had known that, maybe, because part of the reason that I was so afraid for so long of using any of these kinds of words to describe myself is it felt like a kind of irrevocable leap into something else that I just didn't understand and didn't know about and was really confused about, in a way, um... But now the murkiness feels pretty inherent and pretty okay. Um, (laughs) And that's my bit of the story. My name is Josie Kearns, and I live in Chicago. And this is my coming out story. I've considered myself polyamorous for about five years and transgender for about two. In many ways, coming out has been at the forefront of my mind for all of that time. My gender transition was, of course, the more visible process. My journey happened to be mostly binary and also fairly rapid, so for anyone who didn't see me regularly, I was simply my old self one day and Josie the next. 
I'd of course talked to family and close friends and co-workers before that day came. An emotional process, to be sure, but a mostly controlled one. Coming out to the public felt bigger. I'd written three different letters, one for Facebook, one for personal email, and one for work email. Those letters had stayed open on my computer for several months, subject to constant rereads and rewrites, and I'd built a new Facebook account under my new name, ready to go. That Facebook account turned out to be an unexpected stroke of brilliance. You see, when I posted my letter, I friended only the people I was already personally out to, perhaps a few dozen altogether. So over the next few days, other friend requests began pouring in. High school and college friends I hadn't seen in a decade, members of my parents' church, acquaintances from the poly community, from my work community, from that group I met at that party that one time, loads of people I hadn't even been Facebook friends with before. I got hundreds of requests in less than a week. And I hadn't expected this, but every time my phone beeped, I felt a rush of love and support. It meant another person who had read my story, my letter was long, and another person saying that no matter how they might have known me before, they saw me now for the person I really was. I imagined them standing up to support me and celebrate me and, yes, be my friend. Not a friend of that guy they thought they'd known before. A friend of mine, today. Emails poured in too, of course. Many with congratulations, some with stories, all with support. It was completely overwhelming in the best way imaginable. I will never forget that day, or that week, or that feeling. It's one of the most cherished memories of my life. Of course, a gender transition is mostly straightforward. At some point, you're just out, and there's no turning back. Coming out as polyamorous has been a more nuanced, circuitous road. There are dozens of stories there, too, but here's my favorite. I work in theater for a company with about a dozen staff members. A couple years ago, I'd finally hit a point where I was out as Polly to most of them, and I noticed that the word had finally spread to people I hadn't personally told. I legitimately thought everyone knew. So one time, an opening night, I was in our event room with the rest of the staff while our show played upstairs, and the conversation somehow turned to monogamy. I jokingly interjected, eh, monogamy is overrated, a slightly assholish wink I give from time to time. My coworker sitting next to me took the bait, laughing, yeah, says the girl who's married. And so I promptly finished the sentence for her, yeah, and whose wife is watching the show upstairs with her boyfriend right now. At which point my coworker, who had of course just begun casually sipping her bourbon, did a literal spit take. Apparently I hadn't been out to her, but I sure was now. And that's it for this episode. I feel like I want to shout from the rooftops. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for so generously sharing your stories with us. And it's also hugely important to me to note that the devastating truth remains that many are not safe to come out or to freely and publicly be all of who they are. The heartbreaking legislation in North Carolina and elsewhere reveals some of just how far we have to go. But I also want to celebrate uh, the stories of, of those who, who can be out and pave the way for others. 
And thank you, thank you, thank you to you for tuning in. We'd love to be in touch with you in all of the places. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, now Instagram, at Sex for Smarts. And you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And we'd love to hear your ideas, questions, objections at any time. You can find our contact info at sexforsmartpeople.com. And if you dig what we do and are not already our patron, please consider going to patreon.com slash sexforsmartpeople and chipping in a buck or two per episode if you're in a position to. We are so grateful to those in our community who uh, help keep us afloat. And next episode will be released on June 15th, we'll have as our guest the magnificent Angelica Ross, who you might have seen recently on The Daily Show. Fancy. And <laughs> thank you again from the bottom of our hearts for being in conversation with us here. See you next time. Bye.